spiritual tone this morning, which has been really beautiful to witness and be part of. Um, I've got quite a few props up here and some essentials. So the essentials was um, tissue. God has been breaking me. There's a puddle of tears over there from where I was um, standing during worship. So I've got my essentials here. I've got some oil, anointing oil. I've got um, some water because my wife often tells me I need to have a sip while I preach. Always obedient to my wife. I also have, um, I'm just going to put this, I don't want to break. I love a little chocolate. We'll see where that goes. And um, I have a rose. I have a rose. Okay, so just to let you know, there's more props coming later, but um, I just want to say that um, thank you, Rob. Um, I did get the memo, and um, I have your anointing. Black shirt, gray pants. Your shoes are cooler than mine, though. But um, I, I, I'm humbled. I'm absolutely humbled to be standing here today. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people who have stood in this place before me. Rob, I could never, ever, ever, ever have your pastoral heart. I promise you that. Kirsty, I could never teach a word like you teach a word. Helmut Vida, we honor you. Where is Vida here? We, we honor you for what you've done for decades and decades and decades. I honor you, Alexandra, for standing at home church last year without one page in front of you, trusting for the Holy Spirit. It was amazing. I honor you, Kat. No one can preach an encouraging word like you. And I honor you, Grant. It's not by random chance that you're here today. In fact, none of you we're here by random chance today. There's some new visitors, and maybe this is the first and only time you will come to this church. We hope we see you again. But you've been brought here today to hear what the Lord has to say. So, um, I'm wildly nervous too. I am. I'm wildly nervous. And I'll tell you the reason. It's not to stand in front of you. I'm not nervous about that at all. I'm wildly nervous because a couple of weeks ago I sat with Rob and um, I shared a brief summary of what I would be sharing today. And um, Rob, in no way to dishonor you. I'm not here to dishonor you, I swear to you. I had to change the message. So the message has changed because it's my responsibility to honor the Spirit of God. I take great responsibility for standing here because teachers of the word will be judged more harshly. And I don't want to be judged harshly. I want to be obedient to what God wants to do in this building today. And he's already started something. I want to tell you another thing. I'm not preaching at you. I swear to you I'm not preaching at you. This word that I'm bringing is so convicting to me. God has been working in it, for, in it in me for a long, long time. And you know, you know how faithful God is. I actually, everything I preached actually came out of your mouth, Rob, and out of um, yours, Kirsty. What you were saying you didn't know is something that I want to share, so you're going to be, get a little bit of a beat. That's okay, because that's how the Spirit works. He makes us wear the same clothes. He makes us have the same word, and it's just confirmation that we're in the right place. So this morning, as Rob said, I want everybody to close their eyes and pray for your own heart, just as Rob shared that he went on a walk and asked God for something significant on that walk. I'm asking you to close your eyes, and I'm going to give you a minute or two, just to bring your heart before the Father and ask for that. I'm not going to ask you to do something if you're bold and brave. If you're not, it's okay. You don't have to pray out loud or touch the person. But there are people in this room and people next to you. 
Pray for them. Pray for their hearts. Lord Jesus, we come to you today humbly to receive, to receive from the throne of grace. Lord, during this week and even today as Milani stood up and spoke about mountains moving and the growth and life underneath it, Hamish came to me and he said he saw walls being broken down, walls being broken down bricks smashed and God said don't worry about the mess Rob prayed this morning that our hearts would open like flowers so I thank you Father I thank you for the privilege and the honor that it is to stand here today I submit myself completely to you because I don't even know what you want to do in the service Lord so I hand it over to you and just ask for your grace, for the meditation of, the, of my heart and the words of my mouth to be pleasing unto you, my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Okay, here's the other prop. It's been a while since I um, preached and last time I didn't really have to uh, wear glasses. Um, oh, there goes my... Rose. So, this this morning I want to start by reading you a, a true story. And um, it's from 1953, but um, I'm just going to read it out. Reporters and city officials gathered at the Chicago Railway Station one afternoon in 1953. The person they were meeting was the 1952 Nobel Peace Prize winner. A few minutes later... The train came to a stop. A giant man, six feet four inches with bushy hair and a large moustache, stepped off the train. Cameras flashed. City officials approached him with hands outstretched. Various people began telling him how honored they were to meet him. The man politely thanked them and then, looking over their heads, asked if he could be excused for a moment. He quickly walked through the crowd until he reached the side of an elderly black woman. Now remember, this was 1953. Racial se segregation was rife and in full bloom in the U.S. Just like we had our apartheid, so did the USA. Anyway, he sees her. She's struggling with two large suitcases. He picks up one of the bags with a, he picks up the bags with a smile, escorts the woman to a bus, and after helping her aboard, he wishes her a safe journey. As he returned to the greeting party on the ra railway platform, he apologized. Sorry to have kept you waiting. The man was Dr. Albert Schweizer, the famous missionary doctor who had spent his life helping the poor in Africa. In response to Swizer's action, one member of the reception committee said with great admiration to the reporter standing next to him, That's the first time I ever saw a sermon walk. So that's actually the title of my message. And thank you, Elaine, for assisting us with um, the slides. Um, a sermon that walks. So... This morning, Lizzie, your presence here today is a prophetic sign. I know I spoke to you before, and Rob and Kirsty uh, spoke from, from, from the pulpit earlier, but it is a prophetic sign of what God can do. You, Lizzie, are a sermon that walks. God has restored you from paralysis to life. And as I said to you, he's faithful to complete what he started. He's faithful, and he will use this testimony to bring many people to the cross, Lizzie. 
But there are people in this room today who are in spiritual paralysis and need the same miracle that Lizzie had on her physical body to happen in their hearts, in their minds, in their spirits. Almost forgot your rose. Can I ask you to stand? The lady who couldn't stand, who couldn't walk. Do you mind just walking a little bit to me? There truly is a sermon that walks. A thousand words, your most persuasive argument, cannot describe what happened in Lizzie's world. So Jesus, Jesus Christ, a figure in history that has so much record of his existence in the Bible, outside the Bible, Jesus Christ existed on this earth. Now whether you believe he was the Son of God or not, is a different story. But talking about stories, Jesus was the best storyteller of all time. His parables have been repeated generation after generation, century after century, repeated and repeated. But Jesus is so much more than a storyteller. So much more. Like Albert Schweizer, it was a sermon that walked. His actions were more powerful than his words. Look at his healings. Look at his healings, Lizzie. Any other healings that you can think of? This is where you participate. Any other healings you can think of? Hello? Has anyone read their Bible? Can anyone? Can anyone? Jesus' healings. What Jesus healed in the Bible. Can anyone give me an example? Oh, there was like multiple, but I'm going to go with Shane. Shane, what did you say? Eyes. <laughs> eyes. And it's actually funny you said eyes. I just want a little story. Uh, Kat and I were in the Ukraine on a, on a mission trip. Was, we took a bunch of uh, young people. And um, one of the girls' name is Vanika. And we are ministering at... Um, Kat's laughing. She knows where this is going. We were ministering at a drug rehab um, center. And the guy who runs the center has this milky, glossy eye. So you can only see out of one eye. And so we're there and we're all on fire. And um, these are good things to do. Um, Vanika comes to, to me and says, I really feel that God wants to heal him. And I need to spit in his eye like in the Bible. So I'm like, Okay. So we got permission from the man, obviously, and um, Banneke, big hub in her, you know, in her hand, and puts it on the gentleman's eye. And um, I love her faith. I love her boldness. I love her so much. She's incredible. The eye didn't heal, okay? But God saw that day that she was willing to do anything for him. So the test, we may have thought, was for the eye, but the test was in her heart. Anyway, thank you. Yes. So, um, you, can, you can listen to Jesus' prophecies. This is where I'm talking about him, his actions being louder than his words. Listen to his prophecies. Watch him raise the dead. Remember Lazarus? Witness him control nature. Calming of the storm. Walking on water. Today I'm going to show you, myself included, how to become a sermon that walks. We're going to have to go to John 13. Just you can hold off, um, Elaine. Not yet. Um, in John 13, Jesus did something truly stunning. And um, in my humble opinion, outside the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, this is one of the most powerful pictures and the most beautiful pictures we get of Jesus. 
It's something that you can do. He did something that you can do, something that I can do, something that any one of us can actually do quite easily. 2,000 years ago, Jesus did something that no other self-respecting Jew, no other self-respecting Gentile would ever think of doing. He did something that only that the lowest of the person on the lowest rank of social society would do. Please note, back in Bible days, the only people who would wash feet was the lowest person in the household. The lowest slave in the household was given that job. The lowest slave in a household was given the job to wash people's feet. So we're going to learn that there's more to the story about washing feet, though. We know this because Jesus says it himself. So you can put up the slide. Thank you, Lane. John 13, 7. Jesus answered him, What I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Now, now washing feet is not a complex task. It's um, pretty easy to understand. However, there was a much deeper meaning, much deeper message to what Jesus was going to do. You see, Jesus was primarily dealing with, he wasn't primarily dealing with people's feet. He was primarily dealing with their hearts. Jesus is going to teach his disciples and us how to become a sermon that walks. Now, there's three things to keep in mind. Number one, we have to look for opportunities. Elaine, I think I got it up there. I'm just putting it up there so it's nice and clear. We have to look for opportunities. John 13, verses 3 to 4. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. Given him authority over everything. And that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from his table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist. I'd sort of stop there, the significance of what's happening. Jesus knew he had come from God. Jesus knew he was going back to God. Jesus knew he was God. Jesus knew he had given had been given authority over everything. Everything and everyone. He is the man. He is the God man. So what does Jesus do? Does he shout instructions? No. Does he bark orders? No. Does he give commands? No. Does he snap his fingers? No. Does he raise his voice? No. Does he judge and criticize? No. Does he point, do this, do that to his disciples? No. What did Jesus do? He undresses, takes a towel, drops to his knees, and pours into a bowl of water, uh, into a bowl some water, and then he washes the dirty, stinking, filthy feet of his disciples. Now let me let me just put this in contrast. Okay, today we live in a modern world. We wear socks and shoes, and um, we don't um, walk as much as they did in the Middle East back in first century Palestine. Remember, there were no roads. Some people had the luxury, like today, some people have the luxury of their own car. Some people had the luxury of a horse or a donkey or a camel that would walk along these dusty roads. And what do camels and animals do when they walk? They poop. Just like your car, there's pollution that comes out. Yeah, the donkeys and the horses and the ponies and, the, and all these animals, they pooped on the road. And... The people of the time, because it's hot in the Middle East, they wore open sandals to walk. So just think of it, the recipe for a perfectly, a perfectly filthy foot. Poop, sweat, dust. Hmm. This perspective, 
So when you entered someone's house, you had to take off your shoes. And in fact, if any of you have been to the Middle East today, you will see that that is a custom that they still practice today, back from then. Okay. So, here is Jesus, the Messiah, the Redeemer of Israel, the Creator of the universe, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, King of kings, Lord of lords. Takes off his coat, puts a towel around his waist, takes a bowl and a jug of water, and begins to wash feet. Why did the disciples not see that need? How come Jesus could see the need to clean those dirty feet, but they couldn't? Well, that's a 2,000-year-old problem that's still very relevant today. Do you know what that problem is? The disciples were focusing on themselves. Jesus was focusing on them. They were looking after number one. He was looking after number one, two, three, all the way through to twelve. Jesus was also demonstrating a scripture that would come after his death and resurrection. Philippians 2 verse 3 to 4. Do nothing, it's up there. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Every church in Africa would be more unified. Every community in Johannesburg would have more wholeness. Every marriage in this room would be more connected and loving if we followed this one verse. What we need to start doing in our church, in our homes, in our communities, where we live, where we work and where we play, is to start getting our eyes off ourselves and to start putting them on their eyes, uh, on others, your eyes on others. It's all our responsibility to run church. It is all our responsibility to run church. Church is not a service provider. Although you could probably sing albums and then get paid for it because you're amazing. But it's not a service provider. It's a family. How do things operate in your house? Do you have like one person that does everything? Because it certainly doesn't happen in my house. Church is a family. It's God's family. It's God's family. Right here today in our little congregation of the collective church, which is not that little. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a principle called the, the fishbowl principle. And what it says is, if you have a room in a gathering like this and you put out as many seats as there are, you're not going to grow. You have to have extra capacity. And I know you spoke about our venue and the Lord has been talking to us about a venue and we will get a new venue, the right venue that the Lord knows that is right for us. And Rob, again, not to dishonor you, I know you don't want a big church, but I don't know what God wants. Maybe he does want a big church and I want to be part of what he's doing. And it's because you're humble. It's because you're humble and I'll honor you again, Rob. You're such an amazing man of God. You really are. So, in our congregation today, right now, there are people and people outside the four walls of this little building here that are hurting. There are people in this place today that are lonely. There's people out there that are lost and without hope. They need discipleship. They need prayer. They need your gifts of teaching. They need your gifts of prophecy. They need your gifts of encouragement. 
so, so many needs in Johannesburg. So many needs for all of us to fill. I want to give you a little short testimony example. Um, so last weekend, Kat and I were invited to Sarah, a lady Sarah, um, to her 50th birthday. Now, Sarah Olson defined, bless her heart, she was um, my son Alexi. He's in grade five now, but in grade two, um, she was his um, grade two teacher. And in the first term, she got diagnosed with cancer and had to stop teaching. Um, do you know how many other past pupil parents were invited to that party? None. Zero. Just me and Kat. And I'm taking credit here. I've done nothing. It's actually Kat. Okay, I, I just got invited because I belong to, we belong to each other. So, you know. So, we were invited because Kat saw a need. One day she's walking the dogs in the park and she sees Sarah who's just come off a, a, a crippling bout of chemo. She's broken. She looks broken. She's she's horribly affected by by the treatment. And um, my wife has a huge heart, and God talks to her, and she listens, and she can hear His voice. And He asks her to walk a road with Sarah. I can't even tell you how many meals she has cooked, praying over, and delivering at Sarah's house. I can't tell you how many times she has called Sarah and said, Hey, it's a nice day. Let's go walk in the sun and the fresh air. I don't know how many prayers she's prayed and petitioned for Sarah. But you know why we don't see opportunities like Sarah? You know why we don't see those opportunities? Because we don't look for them. And you know why we don't look for them? And I'm personally so guilty of this. This is why I'm saying it is, this is a convicting message. You know, Angus Bachan said, I'm just one hungry beggar showing another hungry beggar where to find bread. This is my responsibility today. But I'm so personally guilty of, you know why I don't look for those opportunities? Because I'm too selfish. I'm too concerned with my own needs. I'm too concerned with my own schedule. I know there's a lot of business people in this room today. And I, I, I run a company as well. I'm a COO, okay? There's 60 people. Schedules are busy. I understand. I understand. But we're also too concerned with our own comfort. And our own calendar routines. When this happens, like a stinking foot, you start to get a stinking attitude. One that looks like this. What can I get out of helping Sarah? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? I'm perfectly comfortable where I'm at. No, 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 no. That's too much of an inconvenience. If you want to grow in the Lord... If you want to grow in the Lord, open up your eyes. Open up your eyes. There is a desperate world of needs out there. A world full of needs. So look in your Johannesburg communities and look in our church. And it's so beautiful that Dom stepped up for, for kids' ministry. Just a, such an example of, of what I'm talking about and what, what the Lord is talking about. You should not view these, these um, needs as problems or as burdens when you see them outside. Because that's the first thing that comes to your head. Oh, burden may come to your head. But you should see it as an opportunity for God to use us. To bring glory 
and honour to his name. And an opportunity to grow spiritually, which I will come back to a little bit later. So that's number one. You have to look for opportunities. Number two. We have there, Lane. Okay. Number two. We have to we have to serve others. Number two, we have to serve others. Now let's go back to that scriptural story. Um, there's a greater reason why the disciples did not see the need um, to pick up a towel and put the water in the in the in the bowl. Um, it's not that they didn't want to wash the dirty feet. Okay, it's not that they didn't want to. But they were busy arguing. The disciples were busy arguing. And do you know what they were arguing about? Who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? Who is going to sit at the right hand of Jesus? Who's going to be the number one guy? The top dog next to Jesus in the kingdom. Luke tells us this, verse chapter 22, 24 to 26. Then they began to argue amongst themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, In this world, the kings and great men lorded over their people, yet are called friends of the people. Verse 26. But among you, it will be different. Those who are greatest among you should take the lowest rank and the leader should come like become like a servant so so while they're busy fighting about who's going to be number 1 they forgot about their basic hygiene got to clean their feet john 13 so jesus got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and cat i'm actually going to ask you just as a demonstration. Can you bring those things so people can see what it actually looks like? So, while the disciples are arguing who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, John tells us, so Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied to him, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. Now what's wrong with this picture? The perfect, sinless, holy hands of God in the flesh is washing the dirty, filthy, smelly feet of sinful man. The disciples ought to be washing his feet. But they're arguing, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? While the water remains in the jug unused, the towel is folded, the basin on the floor is completely empty. No one was willing to do it. And 2,000 years later, guess what? Not much has changed. Things are the same. Think about the world that we live in. Think about this. You know, they, they ask these type of questions. Do you know who I am? How high are you up in the company? How many followers do you have on social media? What's your net worth? How many people report to you? Who's going to take care of that menial task? When it comes to serving, you cannot play favorites. You don't get to serve only the people that you like. You know, 
I know people who serve their families very hard and they have multiple um, children and grandchildren. They're so busy serving their family and you should serve your family. Don't get me wrong. Please don't get me wrong. It's your obligation, duty, and the demonstration of your love to serve your family. But I want to give you an example. Johnny and Delesti Bell, they were elders of a church, the church in Franchuk that, that you mentioned, Rob. Um, Delesti had three children and she fell pregnant and had triplets. So she now had six children, okay? They were running that, that church. They were running that church with, with six children, three in nappies, okay? They had lots of things to do in their home, okay? But let me just push the story forward. Johnny and Delesti Bell must be 80 years old now, maybe 78. And um, they've probably got like 25 grandchildren because those six children had lots of children. So they've got a big, big family. Every single time I speak to Johnny, he's like, Ah, Yanni, this year is the last year I'm going to the Ukraine. For 25 years, he's been going to the Ukraine because God laid it on his heart and has started churches and ministries with six children, a church. But you know why? Because God gives you the grace He's never going to ask you to do anything that you can't handle. It's a matter of perception in your head where you stand. As Rob said, you can stand here and say, my life is busy. It's hectic. It's manic. Because that's what people say in Joburg. But I urge you to be intentional with your words because you're speaking that over yourself. God will extend your tent pegs if he asks you to do something. Anyway, so here we are. You don't get just get to serve the people that you like. You have to serve people that you don't like. Let's go back to verse 2, Elaine. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. During supper, the devil comes into Judas's heart. I mean, can, can you imagine the picture? Honestly, can you imagine the picture? Jesus stoops down and not only washes the feet of his disciples, but he washes the feet of the man who would betray him for 20 pieces of silver, who would turn him over to die. Of course, this goes against our fleshly nature. I mean, how? The world says every man, woman for themselves. It's a dog-eat-dog world. Take no prisoners. Survival of the fittest. Take care of number one. The easiest thing in the world to say, my brothers and sisters, if you take anything away from what I'm saying today, the easiest thing in the world to say is, it's not my problem. Somebody else will do it. But listen to what Jesus says in verse 15. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Now please understand that Jesus wasn't washing their feet to institute another ritual in the church. And I'm not saying you shouldn't wash feet. In fact, another funny story. Sorry, Kat. <laughs> we, we're in India now. So we're on a mission trip in India. Last time was the Ukraine. This time was India. And um, we... We were so incredibly humbled by the Indian hospitality. I mean, it was it was insane. It was it was crazy. You walk into into a house, and the houses aren't very big. I mean, we were we were ministering in very poor communities. You go you go into a house. This is the pastor's house, and he says, "Oh, this is where you're sleeping." So we all got like our hiking mattresses, blow up mattresses, and we it's about twelve of us, and we all line up our mattresses and we sleep there. Next morning, oh, you wake up and you check out the front door. There's the pastor and his wife sleeping on the street. They have given up their bedroom and are sleeping on the street. Okay, so it was incredibly humbling. And I, I highly recommend going on missions. But um, that's a story for another day. 
Anyway, so we didn't know how to bless these people. They'd given us everything, including their bedroom. And um, so the Lord laid it on our hearts, myself and Kat, was just to honor them um, to to wash their feet. So I'm like, okay, I'll wash the guy's feet, pastor, and the wife, um, Kat's going to wash. But the wife is like like shuffling away into the shadows. And we think, oh, she's, she's a little bit nervous maybe, I don't know. Anyway, I wash the guy's feet, and then it comes, we strongly coax the lady to sit down to get her feet washed by by Kat. And as we take off, well, as Kat takes off the, her, the shoes she was wearing, there was a smell. A, she had some kind of disease on her feet, and it wasn't pretty. It didn't smell good. It certainly didn't look good. But what did Kat do? She lovingly washed the lady's feet. I don't know who cried more that day, whether it was Kat or the pastor's wife. <laughs> anyway. So, um, what I'm saying is, listen to what Jesus says in, in, in verse 15. For I have given you an example that you too should do just as I have done to you. So Jesus is not actually saying, do what I did. He's actually not saying that. Jesus is saying, I want you to think the same way as me. I want you to have the same attitude as me. I want you to start serving others first. I want you to see where you can be served rather than the other way around, expecting service. Basically, Jesus is saying, it's not about you. It's about others. It's always, it is always about others. So the next time you think something that doing something for others is beneath your dignity or your position, what's too distasteful or too inconvenient. Remember this, my brothers and sisters. If you are a follower of Christ, the most important thing, the most important thing is not what God asks you to do. The most important thing is doing what God asks you to do. Yeah, that's sad. Huh? So number one, you'll be looking for opportunities. Second thing to remember if you want to become a sermon that walks is you have to serve others. And number three, you have to realize that serving is a blessing. Oh, no. Yanni, where do, you, where do you get that from? Okay, J- uh, John 13 verses 12 to 17. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I'm doing? This is Jesus asking his disciples. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that is what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash the feet. You you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master. Nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. God will bless you for doing them. Now it's obvious that that Jesus is moving from a physical illustration of washing dirty feet to a spiritual, a spiritual illustration. That serving is a blessing. Many believers, many believers think it's enough to go through the Christian motions. You know, showing up on Sunday for corporate worship at 10 a.m., singing beautiful worship songs, listening to an inspiring sermon by someone in front or even on YouTube, taking communion, reading your scripture, praying. No, 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 don't get me wrong. All these things are wonderful things to do as a Christian. 
But if it's the only thing you're doing, if it's the only things you're doing, you're missing out big time. You're missing out big time. And I'm not here to convince anybody or, or to persuade anybody or to, to certainly not point fingers at anybody. I'm not here to do that. Remember, I said to you, I'm one hungry beggar showing another hungry beggar where to find bread. And I'm hoping that what I'm about to share with you is going to save you several years in a spiritual desert, in spiritual paralysis. I'm hoping. So, I've been hiding from God and His church for many years. For many, many, many years. God has been calling me back to himself and his church for a long time. For a very long time. And you know what happens when you resist God's calling in your life? You know what happens? He stops calling. He stops calling. You slowly start to die from the inside out. You dry up and stagnate spiritually. And that spiritual stagnation and drying out flows into every relationship that you have. First, your spouse, because they take the heat of that disobedience. Then your children. Then your parents. Then your brothers and sisters. And then people in your community. People at work. Well, my heart had grown hard and cold. I was in a spiritual wasteland for many years. But God is faithful. God is faithful. God is patient. And God is kind. But you know what it took? After ignoring him for years, it took a yielding of my heart to say, Fine, Lord, help me. Help me, Lord, I can't get out of this place. Send me somebody. Send me somebody. You know who he sent? Jason. You don't know Jason. Jason was on holiday in the Kruger. Jason lives in Durban, okay? Jason decided to come past Johannesburg on his way back home from the Kruger to Durban. That's not on the way. That's like several hundred kilometers out of his way. Jason didn't know what he was doing. He didn't hear anything from, well, maybe he did, maybe he did, but he didn't know what he was doing. He stays with us for the weekend, and just before he gets in his car to go back to Durban, he says to me, Yanni, please can you coach me? Now I pray. I said, Lord, send somebody. Jason comes. He says, Yanni, please mentor me. Now, I could have quickly made an excuse. Oh, no, you're on the other side of the country. You're in Durban. I'm in Johannesburg. It's not going to work online. We're not going to get enough time together. And I just said, look, uh, Jason, I can't mentor you. I can only disciple you. The things that come out of my mouth are, are biblical things. I don't know about the world. The world's ways do not work. You need Christ. So if you're willing to be discipled by me, I'll gladly do that for you. Now, it's a, it's a very long story that, that has many complex twists and turns. But shortly after that, Rob comes to me. Hey, Yanni, let's go catch up for a cup of coffee. Okay, cool, Rob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we go up for a cup of coffee. And he says to me, Yanni, I'm, I'm, I'm inviting you to to sort of like speak into the church. And is there any anything you see wrong? Or is there anything like maybe you want to get involved with? And I said to him, sure, Rob, um, just give me some time to pray about it. Okay? Now there was a little bit of um, things on my heart that God is stirring. And then I go and have a coffee with Hamish. Now this is like shortly after the coffee I have with you. And Hamish comes to me and he says, 
is look, I'm a bit frustrated here. Um, I, I don't know how to say this, but um, I'm like, guess it's a bit of loss. He says, I just think the home churches are a bit big. You know, people are getting like, um, you know, there's so many people going. Sometimes you don't get attended to. So I'm like, okay, they're witnesses with my heart. So God has unlocked Jason. I'm walking a road with Jason. I meet with him weekly online. Then Robin comes and asks me a question. Then Hamish comes and brings it. Oh, God is confirming all the way. He's pulling me back. And so to be obedient to that, I said to Robin Kirsty, we'd, like we'd like to open up our home. Now, what you have to understand, serving is a blessing. It's a blessing. You open up your home, the blessing of the Lord comes in because you are ministering in your home. When people leave, the blessing of the Lord remains. When you open up your home, you're suddenly in a very different position. You're sitting in a place of, what can I do to be hospitable to these people? Hey, maybe we should pray for these people before they come. Hey, I've got to prepare something to share with these people. I've spent more time in the scriptures in the last sort of month than I have in the last six years. Who's getting blessed? Maybe you. Yeah, I hope you're getting blessed. Hi. Hi. Me. I'm getting blessed. So, anyway, that's a little bit of my story. But this is what Jesus says. He says, You're, you know a tree by its fruits. So the question I'll ask you, what fruits of service are showing on your tree? Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, taught, the, taught his disciples this very lesson. To stop thinking like the guest of honor at their table and to start serving others at the table. Now, I started this message with a story. I want to end with a story. So I'm going to um, read it out to you. Doug Bothell from Washington wrote the following. While serving with Operation Mobilization in India in, in 1967, tuberculosis forced me into the sanitarium for several months. I did not speak the language, but I tried to give Christian literature written in the local language to the patients and the doctors and the nurses. Everyone politely refused. I sensed many weren't happy about a rich American being in a free government-run hospital in India. To them, all Americans were rich, but what they didn't know, I was just as broke as them. The first few nights, I woke up at around 2 a.m. coughing. One morning during my coughing spell, I noticed one of the older and sicker patients across the aisle from me trying to get out of bed. He would sit up on the edge of the bed and try to stand, but weakness but in weakness, he would fall back into the bed. I didn't understand what he was trying to do. He finally fell back into his bed with exhaustion. I heard him crying softly. The next morning, I realized what the man had been trying to do. He'd been trying to get up and walk to the bathroom. The stench in our ward was awful. The other patients yelled insults at the man. Angry nurses moved in on him. One nurse even slapped him as they cleaned up the mess. The old man curled into a ball and wept. The next night, I again woke up coughing. I noticed the man across the aisle sit up and again try to stand. Like the night before, he fell back whimpering. I don't like bad smells and I didn't want to become involved, but I got out of bed. I went over to him. I touched his shoulder his eyes opened wide with fear, thinking he might get another smack. I smiled, put my arm around him, and picked him up. He was very light in weight due to his old age and advanced tuberculosis. I carried him to the washroom, which was just a filthy small hole in the floor. I stood behind him with my arms under his armpits as he took care of himself. After he finished, I picked him up and carried him back to his bed. As I laid him down, 
he kissed me on the cheek and said something I couldn't understand. The next morning, another patient woke me up and handed me a cup of steaming, steaming tea. He motioned with his hand that he wanted one of my tracts. As the sun rose, other patients approached and indicated they also wanted booklets I tried to previously distribute to them. Throughout the day, nurses and interns and doctors all asked for the same literature that I'd been trying to distribute. Weeks later, an evangelist who spoke the language visited me, and, he, and as he talked to others, he discovered that several had learnt about the love of Christ and his offer of salvation as a result of reading that literature. What did it take to reach these people with the gospel? It certainly wasn't my health, or the ability to speak their language, or my persuasive talk. It simply took a trip to the bathroom. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sums it up for us, and, and Doug Bothell illustrated us from that story. It's from Matthew 5.16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In other words, become a sermon that walks. So, um, I don't really know how this is going to turn out. So, Elaine, I'm going to ask you just to, if you can start playing that song. And um, this morning I, I want to do something in the spirit, a symbolic spiritual act. Um, for are you volunteering, um, Rob? I need a volunteer. Um, so this spiritual symbolic act um, is for me. It's for you. It's for all of us. Um, for your homes for your workplaces, for the city, for the universal church of Jesus Christ. So I am looking for a volunteer who stood up. Thank you so much. I'm going to ask you to take a seat, please, Rob. I really do believe that um, this symbolic spiritual act is here to break chains. But Spirit of the Lord, you're the one who knows. You know where we're all at. You know our heart condition. You know the blockers in our mind. So I thank you, Father. So I want to I want to pray for you, Robin. Thank you, Bongani. I just thank you, Spirit of the Lord, that I can come and wash Rob's feet because I honor him, Lord. I honor him for the position that you've placed him in. I honor him for saying yes when you called. And blessed are those, the feet of those who bring you good news, Lord. And Father, I just see such an anointing on this man's life and his ministry. I see a picture of, it's almost like a, like a firework, that he ignites this firework, and in every single direction a spark goes. And everywhere the spark lands, another fire burns. And we can see that in this ministry, Lord, how many people have been sent to the other sides of the world. So I want to honor him today, Lord. I thank you, Father, that you know his heart. You know this man. Unlock those dreams that he's had in his heart for so long. While I wash his feet, I'm just going to ask, um, especially the the people in leadership, if you have, I'd like you to gather around Rob and just take the mic and 
speak any prophetic vision or prayer that you have over her, that that you have for him. <laughs> 